and welcome to Cult Movie Cult, where we watch and discuss the horrific, the obscure, and the flat-out strange from the other side of cinema. I'm Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink, and this is the first episode in our new series, Practically Terrifying, a celebration of 80s creature features. We'll be digging into a variety of monster movies from one of horror's greatest decades. We'll be discussing a few classics, as well as a few films you might not have heard of. The first film in our series is An American Werewolf in London from 1981, directed by John Landis and starring David Naughton, Jenny Ogader, and Griffin Dunn. The film follows two American backpackers, David and Jack, who are attacked by a werewolf while traveling in England, causing David to become a werewolf under the next full moon. You saw me standing alone without a dream in my heart. All right, so first of all, Jeremy, I did want to say welcome back, as it is, has been a while since we've last recorded. Indeed it has. And uh, this is a, a good one to come back with, uh, one I'm very excited, uh, a series I'm very excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always been very enthusiastic about practical effects uh in horror movies and you know just in general um it's something you know that i just always enjoyed and uh been passionate about and uh with modern special effects you know with a lot of cgi and computerized digital effects they just don't have the same feel to them i guess Mm -hmm. uh, is, is one way to put it um maybe because practical effects such as animatronics or makeup or costumes things like that Maybe because they take up real-world space, and maybe our mm-hmm. brains recognize that. I'm not sure, mm-hmm. but uh, I think there is something to that, you know, to the to that effect that that happens when you watch a practical effect as opposed to a digital effect. Mm-hmm. It just has a different feel to it, and uh, even if there is some jankiness or mm-hmm. the imperfections of it, you know, I think that all ad- just adds to it, really. Um, or at the very least, you know, I I, I think uh, a blending of the two, like. Um, of practical effects and, and uh, CGI can be effective, such as in films like Jurassic Park or Independence Day. Um, in the 90s, there was, there was a time where practical effects were still being used, but they were starting to evolve and, and you know, digital effects were be- becoming more advanced. And so they were sort of blending the two. Um, and I thought that worked pretty well in, in, in a lot of movies. Like for for instance, I met, I mentioned uh, Independence Day, mm-hmm. and they actually used miniatures for a lot of the large scale uh, destruction shots in that movie, which is kind of funny to think about now that they were still using miniatures at that point. Yeah, um, which was I think that was 1996 that came out. But obviously, like you know, they were marrying that with all this digital footage mm-hmm. and, and and all that. Yeah, augmenting. So, mm-hmm. um, so what what are your thoughts just on I guess on modern versus uh, more traditional? special effects yeah i think i think it's just you know it all it all comes down to the particular film and what that film is going for um i think you know in in a film like an american werewolf in london you know which is funny um but also scary you know Mm -hmm. like like it it really serves it and kind of makes it kind of more gruesome like Um, visceral yeah it makes it visceral and it also i think it's just there's something you know, it's, it's like I, I, I've been really into like clothing lately and kind of learning about the history of clothing and everything. And there's there's the difference between like handmade clothing versus something made really cheaply and quickly as fast fashion. You know, like one of mm-hmm. them is something that is meant to last you years and you pass down to your kids and, you know, is, is like a real kind of quality item versus something right. that's just like a kind of quick flash in the pan. And I think when, when you talk about a practical effect, you know, or, or, you know, like handmade, handmade. Yeah. It, it's this thing where it just, even if it's imperfect, it feels so mm. genuine. Like it, it, you, you can tell that they, there weren't corners being cut. It wasn't just like, right. oh, this didn't work. This is the solution we'll come up with. It's you, mm-hmm. you can feel the, the weeks and months of planning mm-hmm. and experimentation that went into it. And even when were... It is they were pouring their hearts out into these. Yeah, exactly. It's, <laughs> these it's like creatures. Yeah, and that's not to say that there isn't CGI that people pour their yeah. hearts out into. Right. It's just yeah. I, I feel it's like just... you know because obviously there are films that do CGI brilliantly. 
you know, and, it, and it's mm-hmm. gorgeous, and the, and the people making it are, are true well, artists. Motion capture and all of that. Yeah, you it's know, amazing. It. But yeah. I also feel like at the point we're in now in, in film, CGI also often is kind of used as a Band-Aid. Um, yeah, oh, it's it's oversaturation for sure. It's oversaturation, uh, whereas something like this, it's just like, you know that the people making it really, really, really were trying to do something interesting and believable, and it was all yeah. about the planning, and there was that risk that they would get there on the day and it wouldn't work. And that was just right. what they had to live like, with. <laughs> the infamous example of Jaw- the shark and Jaws mm-hmm. never working. And that's why you are one of the re- reasons why you hardly see it in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, you bring up a good point. You know, like we were talking about uh, just how there's so much CGI now where mm-hmm. I think people get kind of desensitized to it. And with practical effects, it was more like, you know, maybe people will see the seam in it or they'll see the mm-hmm. zipper or whatever. So we'll just show it really quickly. You know, we'll, we'll yeah. get a glimpse of the creature and then mm-hmm. we'll go to, cut to something else. And, and you don't really see that anymore because there's yeah. no need for it, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought that kind of added to the atmosphere and the overall feeling of unease, you know, and, and horror that can, mm-hmm. you know, come about because of that. Because you only get a glimpse of the creature or maybe you don't see it that much yeah. or things like that. So there's not really much opportunity for that to happen anymore. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, and I think um, it's also just, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, we'll jump in. Obviously, we have to get through the plot. But I'm just thinking, you know, as we always say with, with this show, we advise you to watch the movie first because full spoilers yes. ahead. Um, but <laughs> but in this one, you know, the, the, the most famous scene, at least from a practical effects standpoint, is when he's kind of becoming the wolf. And yeah, the transformation scene. The thing, the thing that always gets me with that kind of stuff, and with you know, I, I've done some practical effects stuff in my own filmmaking. I'm nothing mm-hmm. close to this kind of you know, right, complicated. Right but it's like something like this. It's not just the practical effects artist either. It's not just the the prosthetic and that. It's how everything is working with it. You know, the 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 camera angle, the, where the camera is set up. Like the cinematographer and the director have to be on board with the practical effects artist. The mm-hmm. you know the costumes have to be on board with the practical effects art with the effects artists the the um the set the way the set is designed like everything yeah. has to really be kind of built around making this thing work which i think just creates this this feeling of in, 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 intentionality you know like it's it's so specific and it has to just be done in this one way because yeah. if it's not shot exactly right then you'll see the effect if it's not lit exactly mm-hmm. right you'll see the effect if the right. if the actor doesn't sell it just right you'll see the effect. And so, and so it's <laughs> yeah. like, it really becomes this this whole team effort just to go into something like a fingernail growing out or something. Yeah. Like, like it, it's just, it's such a complete thing. It really is. And, and we'll certainly talk about that scene, of course, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, we'll talk about a lot of, a lot of different kinds of creature films during yeah. the series. Jeremy, I, th- I think you were, you were right and kind of, you know, because I was bringing up these more well-known mm-hmm. uh, movies, and and you were kind of steering it into the more like obscure, I guess, mm-hmm. and which we try to talk about both on this show. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I, we were starting with American Werewolf in London, which came out in 1981, and while that's a a much larger and more famous example of these types of films, I thought it made sense for us to talk about because yeah. um, it, it's just an odd film. It's it's very, very yeah, very it's very unique. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly due to the mix of comedy and just straight horror Mm -hmm. uh, that is in the film. Like it really doesn't pull any punches, especially when it comes to the horror Mm -hmm. and the comedy in it is very dark. Um, Yeah. And you know, like I I enjoy dark humor, so I guess maybe that's why I'm, I gravitate towards this movie Mm -hmm. and I do, I do like the effects a lot in it as well. So uh, with this film, we have a couple of very large figures in film Mm -hmm. and cinema in general. uh, One of them being the, the writer director, John Landis, who's uh, written and directed many films, many cult films. Uh, I guess Blues Brothers may be the biggest example of that. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had directed that right before this film. And we also have Rick Baker, who is the, the special effects uh, wizard, as I used mm-hmm. to call him back then, uh, behind this film. Um, you know, he was the one who created the, the effects, that created the, the, the wolf for the movie. Um, and he's the one who brought about that transformation scene we're going to talk about later. Mm-hmm. And he, he's done a lot in the, in the industry. We're going to talk about him at, towards the end. Um, and so to start off, I just want to mention that. So it's called An American Werewolf in London. And the reason why John Landis apparently chose London as a setting was because uh, this is a, a direct quote from him. He said, London was horror central, of course, home of 
Jack the Ripper, Jekyll and Hyde. Mm. So I wanted all that Victorian Gothic, but I also wanted to show the real London of 1981. Um, so that, that was sort of his reasoning for setting it there. Also, there was a pretty nice tax incentive, apparently, mm. <laughs> for, for filming in London. So, um, so that, that also had something to do with it. But, you know, I, it, like he said, it, it is home to a lot of sort of Gothic horror. And, mm -hmm. and he was obviously influenced by a lot of classic horror films, for mm -hmm. this like maybe like the universal horror mm -hmm. films and things like that um so as the film begins we we see these two young americans uh who are backpacking through england countryside i believe it's uh wales i think it was shot in wales mm -hmm. um and we're with our our two main characters there uh played by griffin dunn as we mentioned and david naughton mm -hmm. who i don't know if you knew this jeremy was a little bit of a disco star before oh, the really <laughs> he had a, a pretty pretty popular song that came out i think in 1979 i did not know that <laughs> um, yeah you should look it up it's it's actually pretty damn catchy i can't remember the name of it now of course but Interesting. Uh, if you type in david naughton disco i'm sure it'll come up um but so yeah so he so david uh plays david in the movie and griffin dunn plays his friend jack so actually the, the first shot of them i have the blu-ray of this movie so i watched some of the mm -hmm. special features uh, to prepare for this. And uh, I think uh, John Landis mentioned the first time we see these two main characters is in the back of a truck and it's full of sheep. Mm. So it's sort of like, you know, I, I didn't even like think of this I didn't catch before, that. Really, but yeah. it's kind of like symbolism. He said, you know, like they're dead already. They're dead from the beginning, you know, yeah. um, which is kind of interesting. So again, spoilers here if you haven't seen the movie, but mm. <laughs> um, so and again, we said this movie's pretty dark. So, um, so with these two characters stumble upon this pub, kind mm -hmm. of out in the middle of nowhere in in Wales. It's called the Slaughtered Lamb. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess it's not very, it's pushing it. you know. Well, it's also subtle, it's also funny but, uh, because it's like the, uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm just thinking now that you're saying that it's it's like I'm thinking because it, it's like they're wearing these like puffy coats too, which might be like, you know, I don't know. They're, oh, they're yeah. kind of reminiscent right. of wool, <laughs> and it it just makes me think of the expression of wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, like, yeah. like they're riding in the back. It's a, that, that's a very nice little visual gag that I didn't actually yeah. catch. Yeah, or lambs to the slaughter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this, yeah, this pub is sort of, you know, it has like an eeriness to it, and they're, all the locals are there, and these two Americans stumble in, and everyone kind of <laughs> there's that scene, and it's almost like an old western where like everything yeah. stops, and they they all kind of turn and look at them and mm -hmm. stare at them. Um, and so, yeah, basically, this there's something odd going on in this in this town. Um, there's a uh, pent, what is it? A pentagon or just like a star on the wall? Like a, I don't know if it's a pen, yeah, I think it's like just a five pointed star. Five pointed star on the wall. I think that's what they said. Um, yeah, and, they, and so basically, the they, the locals tell them to to leave, to stay on the road, keep clear of the moors, um, and so they do eventually leave, and they start to wander and wonder where they're even going to go next, and then. Uh, they hear this howling in the background. And now this this part's interesting, Jeremy, because you don't actually see anything, I don't think. Um, you, mm -hmm. The camera sort of goes around them as they're saying, it's circling us, and you kind mm -hmm. of maybe get a couple POV shots from the creature, but mm -hmm. um, really you don't you don't see anything in, in terms of the monster. Uh, and then, um, so they're, they're out in this misty field, and the, the friend, Jack, is killed in this scene by the unseen creature that we assume is a werewolf. Uh, David gets scratched pretty bad. It's a, it's a pretty vicious mauling, actually, mm -hmm. to start off the film. But it kind of brings you into the rest of the film, which is, again, pretty pretty brutal for a lot of the mm -hmm. violence in it, uh, which apparently was cut down a lot, too, which is interesting. Interesting. <laughs> um, and then from there, we see him running naked through the woods, and uh, it's kind of like this weird... So there's a couple weird nightmare sequences in yeah. the film kind of early on. I want to talk about this. There's one um, also early on where, so I guess, how do we describe these? Machine gun Nazi werewolves? Yeah, I, I, monsters? I, they were, yeah they're yeah. more monsters. They weren't really werewolves. I, that yeah. Was, that yeah, was I've the one I kind of couldn't as, figure out. It's, it's a wacky yeah. scene. I'm, like the others kind of made sense. Like he's like running through the woods <laughs> and it's, it's kind of like, it's like he's getting the, the wolf urge. But yeah. then that one is just, I, yeah, he's running naked through scene, the woods. But, yeah. yeah, it really is. It's like it's almost from like another movie or something. But, yeah, um, yeah, I've, I've seen them described as werewolves. Too. Yeah, I agree, Jeremy. They they look more like just generic monsters to me. But mm -hmm. um, they are dressed in like Nazi uniforms, and they they come in to. So David's like in his house with his family, and it's just just this nice idyllic kind of 
comfy home scene. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it's like these Nazi monsters show up and saw, you know, like just annihilate the family. Like I think they're using like Uzis or machine guns or something. And then, uh, they slit David's throat to end it. Yeah. It's it's, it's really, it's really brutal. Um, yeah. And it stands out. It's, it's definitely unique. Um, I I don't know. I feel like that was just some weird John Landis kind of leftover. I don't know if it was like a, maybe a nightmare that he had or, I mean, maybe like the the era he grew up in, maybe there was still like a lot of Nazi imagery and things like that. Yeah, um, it kind of makes sense. Well, and and, and yeah. I think you know, I mean, I, I was reading that he actually wrote this script much earlier. Um, oh yeah, that's that's something I'm going to mention later. Yeah, he, yeah, he wrote it. In, I think he, 1969 or something. Yeah, like and I'm just thinking about like the 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 film landscape in 1969. And this kind of like psychedelic, even horrifying dream sequence that's kind of out of yeah. the movie does feel right. more like a like a '60s like Roger Corman, mm-hmm. you know, kind exploitation. of exploitation. Exploitation, yeah. like yeah. they want a cool machine gun scene, you know, yeah. just because it's like vibey and <laughs> psychedelic. And it's like, right? I, I I'm curious, you know. I I mean, I I don't know if he's if John Landis has spoken about that scene at length, but it's like. I'm curious if that one maybe even started out as something kind of more psychedelic and strange and mm. was whittled down to still this very psychedelic and strange thing. But, yeah. uh, I well, don't know. It, it is, it is true to a nightmare. Like it feels like a nightmare. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, and around this time we meet the character of, uh, played by Jenny. Uh, is it Agater or? Agater? I think, I think Agater. I, I don't know how to say it exactly. Yeah. Agater. Um, and she's she's a nurse at the hospital, Nurse Alex Price, mm-hmm. and uh, she's taking care of David. And um, now during the scene, we, we see the first time that Jack actually returns. So his mm-hmm. friend has has returned from the dead, or I guess he's like a living dead. He's undead, um, yeah. and he's he's you know there's a lot of makeup effects done to him where mm-hmm. he looks like he's starting to decay i mean eventually we'll see what what happens to him mm-hmm. with the full decay going on but um yeah it's just like his dead friend is back so i guess uh, i guess you kind of have to call him like a ghost in a sense like if you think because like, yeah. not everyone yeah, can, no see one else him. can see him right no one else yeah, can see him exactly. which is, is one thing that's kind of interesting about this movie why you know like uh we're, we're releasing this episode in the month of october at least you know that's our plan and yeah. it's like I think what's cool with this movie as a horror film is it's like a, a couple different kinds of horror films, you know. Like at times it's like this kind mm-hmm. of gothic horror film. At times it's something more contemporary. Yeah. It's a werewolf film. It's a little bit of a ghost film. It's kind of like a survivalist film to a certain extent. Like it, yeah. it really kind of jumps around. And there's like these ghouls and yeah, these these ghouls. The, yeah. this, it, it's it's one of those ones that really hits a lot of box like really checks a lot of boxes but not in a way that ever feels forced like it kind of very seamlessly flows between them yeah it really does i mean this film really kicked off halloween for me when i watched it same same uh it kicked off the halloween season for sure i was like yeah we're here now (laughs) we're here yeah exactly (laughs) for sure um so his yeah his his uh murdered friend returns to talk to him um and it's pretty gruesome makeup too yeah it's like it has his so it's like a little like his skin has a little dangling piece of flesh to it which actually i think landis commented either landis or rick baker commented that during that scene a lot of the audience members just were mesmerized by the little dangling (laughs) flesh (laughs) a little piece of flesh and they weren't even like paying attention to what you know what was going on in the scene Mm -hmm. um so yeah it's, it's pretty gruesome um and his his friend jack warns david uh, that he's going to now turn into a werewolf, and he tells him to kill himself. Um, and this is something that comes up a lot, like especially later. And now, when I say dark comedy, it is very dark. Yeah. And, and you know, not for everyone. I totally understand that. I I think it's at least entertaining that they're ha- you know like uh, later on like the, all these different dead people are having conversations about how to how the you know the best way to kill yourself and all these yeah. things like. Yeah. So it's pretty out there. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's just get to, you know, the, the kind of the crux of the movie, sort of not the climax, but, you know, the, the scene that everyone talks about with this film, which is the transformation scene. Might as well talk about that now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's it's probably one of the most famous, if not the most famous werewolf transformation scenes yeah. ever. Um, and Landis wanted to do one that hadn't been seen before. So he wanted the audience to see as much as you could um, with the limited practical effects that were being used. Um, And he wanted it to be painful, which Mm -hmm. I think he achieved that. Um, 
it feels painful, this, mm -hmm. this transformation. Um, I've also seen it compared to, and actually he mentioned this himself, uh, to puberty. Mm. And <laughs> Interesting. Specifically, he compared it to a painful erection. That's, so, that's pretty apt, actually. That, I think yeah, that, like... It kind of feels like... Yeah, it's like... It has that... <laughs> yeah, like like this, like, gr like, like your, your, your body is, is not cooperating in ways that it yeah, previously has. Yeah, it's like... It's like a foreign thing that's happening. It's unknown to him. And it's like... And the way his skin and, and the, the hand and his face, they all deform yeah. and ex extend. And mm -hmm. the skin's extending. And um, mm -hmm. so apparently that was foam latex plasticized. Mm -hmm. Um and uh eventually the all all the latex that they used for this scene eventually disintegrated um because it became so malformed from the scene mm. but by that point they had gotten the shot so yeah, yeah it, it didn't matter <laughs> um, and also the music during the scene i wanted to mention is is blue moon blue which moon, we hear yeah. i think i think we hear it three times throughout the film yeah first in the opening credits then this scene and then at, again the end at the credits end. yeah um, but I thought the music was pretty effective during the scene. What do, what do you think? Kind of gave it like an eerie, even yeah. more eerie vibe to it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that it just is, it was such a perfect choice because it's like, they could have easily just done kind of traditional horror movie music, you know, like suspense. Yeah. But I feel like the fact that it's just Blue Moon playing in the background kind and of gives it. And it's diegetic too, I think. Well, yeah. I mean, it's implied that he's listening to it. I he's guess. implied, yeah. And I, I think it just gives it this kind of organic feeling like it's just it's very mm -hmm. matter of fact which i think a lot of this movie one of the matter things of i fact. like about it so it's very matter of fact that's a good, that's a good way to describe it yeah. which I, th I think like for me i mean I, I keep coming back to that because i i i enjoy horror comedies but it's not my favorite because i feel like a lot of horror comedies kind of are trying really hard to be kind of big and funny and shocking and sometimes at their mm -hmm. own expense and i think this one is just yeah. so effortlessly funny and scary and it's it's and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it doesn't ever draw attention to what it's doing, you know. It's like mm -hmm. the characters are just existing in this situation and reacting in ways that to those people feel realistic. I also think that with this movie, um, when we say matter of fact, I think that it wouldn't have worked as well had it been in the United States, you know, if it, it because mm -hmm. Americans react differently to things and. They all would have been yeah. kind of freaking out on the same level that David was freaking out. But the fact that this was <laughs> yeah. set in London, there were so many great, right. very like practical British reactions to things. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where it's like, what's oh, this now? Yeah. Yeah. Like, oh, our friend isn't here. Let's just go investigate. <laughs> and not like, oh, I'm concerned our friend right. isn't here. It's just like, oh, let's go take a look and see what happens. Let's not lose our heads. You know, mm -hmm. and, and, and I feel like mm -hmm. that's so much of what makes it funny is that the, all these yeah. crazy things are happening and all these people are so low-key and practical about it practical no pun intended with what we're talking about but yeah. like it's like i don't know it just, it just gives it this really dry humor that yeah. is like so sharp and, and witty but never trying to be it just is very, yeah very naturally i've always loved british comedy so maybe that's another yeah. reason i gravitate towards this one mm -hmm. um and also just it, it gives it that out of towner that fish out of yeah. water you know foreigner uh, mm -hmm. feel to it as well mm -hmm. which he's already you know he's already going through that and then he's also becoming a werewolf so mm -hmm. it's uh yeah it does almost have like a i don't know why this film has maybe because the main character is so young and they're backpacking and all that but it does have that coming of age feel to yeah it. absolutely um, and the the comparison to puberty and all of that as well mm -hmm. and, the, and the scene kind of works for that um so yeah so uh very famous scene there and, and rightfully so i mean again it, it you feel the pain of the character you feel mm -hmm. uh the effects that are taking place on yep. him and um from there he you know he's so he's become a werewolf he goes out on the hunt and he terrorizes london pretty much and mm -hmm. um we get this really great scene jeremy which i want to talk about because i think it's my favorite scene in the movie actually it's uh the, the subway scene or the yep. underground as the they tube. call it in yeah. London. the tube yes uh, -huh. uh so we have this yeah it's just great tracking shots it's, mm -hmm. it actually reminds me of kubrick a little bit uh, that, that's um, what was coming to mind for me too it was, it yeah was shining because it, it's like all like white and yeah and sort of like a constricted space and so yeah, yeah. He's the it's, we just follow this random londoner who's coming home from work or something and mm -hmm. he he gets steps off the off the uh the the subway there and and uh mm -hmm. he starts to get followed by something and we you know we assume is a werewolf 
But we don't really, again, we don't actually see, we, we see some shots from the, from the perspective of the werewolf, but we don't really see the werewolf until, uh, so the character runs down you know, these tunnels mm -hmm. and we get these really cool tracking shots. And then he goes up onto an escalator and he falls down and he's sort of like, again, I don't know why he's not running away, but it just makes for a really cool like mm -hmm. horror scene where he's, he's on the escalator going up and he's just watching this werewolf step into the frame. It's very, it's shot from very far away, sort of yeah, like a bird's eye. You just eye see a hint from, of it. Uh -huh. Yeah. You just see him like come, you know, like in the corner of the, of the mm -hmm. screen, you see uh, the werewolf enter there. And I just, I always love that shot. It just gives me like, gives me the creeps. Um, yeah. It's just something about it. Uh, just really well done. And again, that sort of comes from, you know, we're not seeing that much of the creature. We're not mm -hmm. seeing that many shots of it. Um, but, but just when, that one when we shot. Do see it, it's really there. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's in the there. Space. Yeah. Yeah. And they were obviously operating it from behind. You actually yeah. never see the act, the back of the creature in the, yeah. the entire film mm -hmm. because that's how they were operating it from, from, from the back. So, yeah. um, so, but it works. Yeah. Yeah. It works. I mean, it works perfectly for the, especially for that shot. Um, I, I was, I was actually thinking about that scene too. Cause I, 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 you know, this, this is my second time watching this movie. And the first time at this point has to be at least four or five years ago. You know, it's been a little while. Mm -hmm. Um, and I kind of forgot that whole uh, underground tube scene. And I was thinking about it because, like, I don't know, in my mind, I, I, I remembered this movie and I thought that it came out more like the mid-80s. You know, for some reason, 1984 was the date in my mind. And I was very surprised to learn that it was 1981 because I'm looking right here mm -hmm. and, and I, I can't confirm this date, but it says online that the release date was August 21st of 1981, which means mm -hmm. that the film was probably shot at the very least in late 1980, perhaps earlier. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking, yeah. the, Shi the Shining came out in May of 1980. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's possible that The Shining was already out, but it's also possible that it wasn't, um, mm -hmm. which is a pretty crazy thing to think about because the Steadicam was still very new and people right. weren't really using it to that extent. Um, yeah. Which is just a pretty mind, because they really, some of those tracking shots are unbelievable and, and especially yeah, at a time yeah. where that kind of wasn't the way you would use that technology i mean you know i mean i guess yeah. it's possible that john landis or his uh cinematographer robert painter or yeah painter saw the shining and pulled from that but even so it's mm -hmm. like the the technical prowess um to pull off a shot like that at a time when it was still a pretty new technology that yeah. filmmakers were still figuring out is like it's something mm -hmm. I never even really thought of with this movie. Yeah. It feels very 70s horror in that yeah. scene. Mm -hmm. It almost feels like it almost feels like its own short film or something that part. Like you just yeah. you can sense that Landis was being playful with the techniques and trying different things and, and mm -hmm. stuff like that. That's what, I think that's why I like that scene so much. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, it's just it's just a great looking sequence. Um so from there, uh David wakes up naked in a zoo. He's in a cage with a bunch of wolves. Which there's and, an amazing, uh, amazing cut there from the, the uh, oh, yeah. escalators. The escalator scene is about to end and the monster is about to attack the guy on the escalator. And then we just cut to a lion roaring. And it's like right. perf perfectly framed where that would have been the shot of the werewolf. Yeah, there is some good editing, some good yeah. cuts in this film. For it's, a great, sure. yeah, it's an excellent cut. Yeah. And he so uh, there's a great line in this part, too, when... Um, <laughs> When he so naked, so he, David wakes up naked in the zoo, and he's he wants to borrow these balloons from a kid to <laughs> cover himself so he can leave. And the kid just goes to his parents, and says, "A naked American man stole my balloons." <laughs> so, I don't know something funny about that. Um, but uh, yeah, apparently the zoo when they filmed the scene was open at the time, or at least when they by the time they were done filming the scene, mm -hmm. because the the uh, actor, David Naughton, was like, where are all these... Well, I can't believe you got all these extras to come out or whatever. And they were like, these are the <laughs> the guests. These are the visitors to the zoo. So apparently he was naked running around the zoo and there was like all these actual people there, which is kind of funny. Just about. another animal in the zoo. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that's a fun little scene. So again, like this mix of comedy and horror. Mm -hmm. You know, you, you get this very horrific sequence right before that and then you get this comedy. Um so and I, and I you know I I think we should talk about the humor of the movie, um, mm -hmm. because we have this violence and this viciousness, um, and then we have you know scenes like this where he's like covering himself with mm -hmm. balloons and he's naked in the zoo. So how did you feel about the the strange mix of, hor of horror and humor 
uh, in the film. Did it work for you? I mean, how do you feel about it? Yeah, I I thought it worked really well. Um, Like like I was saying before, like horror comedies can be kind of hit or miss for me. But this one, it just it just felt like the the horror and the comedy was intertwined kind of. Yeah. Flawlessly. I don't know. It it, it really It, it played they played off each other. It goes full force too with with, with whatever one it's it's centered on in the scene. It seems like mm-hmm. they go all the way with it, which I appreciated. Yeah, yeah, but it um, it, go, it goes back to I, there weren't really any. I mean, I know that there's like there are like funny lines, but it never feels like they're kind of winking at the audience, you yeah. know, and showing look how funny we are. Like even the you know the naked man with the balloon thing. Like the way the kid with props to that little actor who now is probably <laughs> yeah. in his you know fifties. <laughs> But, like, yeah. props to that little kid, because the way he delivered that line, he wasn't, like, sobbing or over the top. He just very matter-of-factly yeah. kind of told <laughs> matter his of fact, mother like, what had happened. British humor, yeah. It's like, I, which which I don't know if that was just good casting or if that if, if yeah. that was John Landis's direction and vision, but across the board, I, I felt like, you know. I think it's that English sensibility that you talked about. Yeah. It just come, it comes across like that, mm-hmm. which makes it funnier, in my opinion. Um, yeah, so also, like, the the humor balances the film out a little bit because mm-hmm. the violence is so vicious. Yeah. The, the horror is so mm-hmm. full on when it happens that to me, the humor, if you didn't have the humor there, it would just know, be a brutal what, what would this movie even, film. Yeah. yeah. What would it even be like? Well, I, I think, of, I think it's kind of like making like a, uh, you know, like a, like I, I like making like guacamole or something. Like you need a little bit of the citrus and you need a yeah. little bit of the salt. And without the other, it's just going to be overwhelming in one direction or the other. But yeah. be- because they balance it and don't hammer one home too directly, it, right. it just feels very balanced and complete. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, it gives it that off kilter vibe that makes it yeah. feel like a like a like a cult movie, pretty much. Um, well, and the con- just... the concept is absurd. You know, like if, oh, if yeah. you think about it, it's especially I mean, now we've seen so many werewolf films and so many. Mm-hmm. But, you know, back then it was like you weren't seeing werewolf films all the time. It wasn't mm-hmm. oversaturated. And I think, you know, when we look at films with absurdist concepts that succeed, I think it's a lot of the time that they just kind of let the concept be what it is. And they're not mm-hmm. they're not drawing attention and saying, like, look how wild and wacky we are. It's like it, it just goes back to which is, which is what it always is for actors and directors and writers is like, you know, it's that thing of the the characters aren't it's not absurd and funny to the characters. It just is what it is to the characters. And they're having their honest reactions. And I think that, you know, John Landis really leaned into that. It's like just letting the characters exist in the world that he created with the situation he created. Well, it's interesting. Do you, do you think Landis was going for a classic horror movie monster like I think Universal? Yeah, to yeah. a certain extent. I mean, it's definitely there. Like you look at the because way he calls it he calls this film a throwback when he talks yeah. about it, which it definitely is. And I think that's part of the reason why it's such an enduring Halloween classic. Is mm-hmm. like it, it has that it has the feeling of a Universal monster movie. But he just you know it, he he. I mean, there's even a thing where I, I think they're talking at one point. I don't remember which which movie it is, um, but I think they're talking about like a '50s wolf you know werewolf movie. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. or maybe even. 30s or 40s i'm not sure I it might even be film. the original they're talking about yeah. it might be yeah but the, yeah i think kind, they do mention it they're kind yeah. of referencing it which has this little bit of nostalgia factor but it's also like it's kind of grounding it in that world like this this is what we're looking at um because it really is about the monster but i think the difference is in the past it might be like you know the the monster's this big horrifying thing and it's all about the devastation it's doing to everybody else but in this one i think what makes it kind of so human is it's really the movie is more about how this guy feels, you know, mm-hmm. how, how he feels yeah. being in it. Then it's the from dev- his perspective. Yeah. The, the devastation, like there's, you know, there's obviously the devastation he's causing, but it's also the guilt. It's the problems it brings into his romantic relationship, his friendships. Mm. It, it, it's very human. Cause I think that's how people function. They're not yeah. always just worried about the macro. They're, they're much more focused on the, the personal. Yeah. I mean, Landis could have just done a straight, werewolf movie he could have yeah. done you know like a, a remake of the original where it's just mm-hmm. a man who trans transforms into a werewolf which you know that film is great in its own way but yeah. um i think it's it's really cool that he added all this different mm-hmm. stuff to it like all this all this humor and mm-hmm. the viciousness and uh, like you said the the personal sort of touches that he puts and um it, it's really subjective i think a lot of the film makes you feel like you're in 
David's position and yeah and so I mean it, yeah it's I, I think he everything he brought to it was just really fun and exciting yeah. and David David keeps saying oh I think I'm losing my mind which is such like a, a human thing like he's just he's cracking up yeah. he's like I I'm, it, I must be there's no way this is actually is, happening I'm just out of my I'm batshit crazy that's the only possible solution it is it is weird how much you feel for him like yeah for, you know he's like this monster like mauling and killing people and you're just yeah. like oh like I feel bad for it but guy. it's not him you know it's not him. It's, it's not his you know, fault, yeah. And that's why you're right. kind of like, you know. Yeah, he even tries to confess and get himself arrested yeah. in, in the one scene. Which is, which is know, a very I, funny scene. Yeah, he goes up to the police officer. He's just, I, I killed someone, or I killed a bunch of people, and I, I did this and did this. Well, and then, and then he just starts insulting everything English. The Queen of England oh, yeah. is a man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, yeah, of course. It's so funny. <laughs> yeah, that scene's great, too. Yeah. Um, another comedy scene. So, And then from there, uh, we kind of start to go to the ending of the film, uh, where we so we're in this adult movie house, mm-hmm. which we see a lot more of this adult movie than we I remembered, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> um, which is a funny, is, weird. I don't know if that's a real <laughs> adult movie or if that's yeah. It one feels like it's referencing something. Or, yeah, I'm not. Sh- yeah, I think no. I think they they made it for the film. I'm pretty sure. It's very. And it's strange. called. It's called See You Next Wednesday, which I think he he puts that phrase in every mm-hmm. every one of his films. Oh really? Does. Yeah. Um, so in this scene, we see Jack again, and he's mm-hmm. his friend, and he's, like, fully decomposed at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, like, full-on animatronic puppet now. Yeah. Um, and um, actually, in this scene, Griffin Dunn actually controlled the mouth as he said the lines, which I found interesting. pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and, he's, and then during the scene, he shows David all these different people that he's killed, and, you know, you see these other dead people there, like the man he killed in the underground and others. Uh, and apparently that's where the cut scene comes in, because I don't know if you remember, but that, there's two like elderly gentlemen who, yeah, who are kind of joining in on the the conversation. And apparently mm. they were two, they were two homeless people who got killed by David. But they, I guess that scene was a little too much for audiences at the time, and they uh, Landis, you know, he too much to his chagrin, ended up cutting it well, out. Well, I, I think that I think that they had the implication of it though, right? Because we, we we saw those guys, and then we, we they like heard something. Yeah. And I, was, I thought, I thought it was fine. And, yeah, I, yeah, I didn't think we yeah. needed to see it. I thought it was just, it right. showed the devastation of what he was doing nicely. Yeah. And then, but we didn't need to, it was, it was you know, we left it to the imagination. Because that's going to be way more gruesome than, yeah. you know, any of the other scenes where it's in like, it's dark and it's, you know, all these people kind of off on their own. Like seeing mm-hmm. a group of guys get killed who are like sitting out around a you know, like yeah. a fire. Like, that's going to be a brutal, brutal scene. Yeah, right? that's exactly. Yeah, I think we got enough yeah. of the, those mm-hmm. kind of <laughs> scenes in the movie. So, I, yeah, I th- it was probably a good call in the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, so Jack's just telling David how he's going to, you know, the, how these undead people are going to be walking the earth in limbo mm-hmm. until the werewolf curse is lifted. So David really has no other option at this point, but there's mm-hmm. not really much he can do. But... Um, he does transform again in the theater, mm-hmm. and he goes on a rampage in Piccadilly Circus, um, and then uh, the the nurse Alex goes to him in the alleyway, and tells him that he you know she loves him, and David basically goes to attack her, and gets shot by the police, mm-hmm. and she's crying, and that's the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Uh, and I love the juxtaposition. So not only do I love that the movie just ends there and just oh, like yeah. this hard, this hard cut at the end mm-hmm. of his of his dead naked body laying there, and it, it is David again at the end. It's not the yeah. werewolf, so he's turned back, and he, there's this sort of like eerie calmness about it. It's like mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like what had to happen, I guess, in the end. Yeah. But and I love the juxtaposition with the end credits song, mm-hmm. uh, just like that upbeat version of uh, Blue Moon that comes on there. Yeah, it's very sharp. As he's as he's laying there dead. Yeah, I mean it's just like perfect. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the end of the movie. Main character's dead. Cut to black. That's it. Um, and there's something to that. I don't know. I just I just thought that was a good ending for it. Because um, yeah, the whole movie is so matter of fact, and it's yeah. like it's like what's so going to happen after that? He's dead. Right. You know, we don't need he's to dead. see all the all the fallout. It's like that's yeah. the end of the movie. He, it's his story. Mm-hmm. He's dead. That's that's all that happened. <laughs> you know, main character's dead. Both our main characters are dead. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you call Jack a main character. He does come back a lot, though. I would um, call him. A, I would call him a main character. Yeah. I would say that, that the main three characters are, um, are you know, uh, Jack, David, and uh, David, and the nurse Alex. Too. The nurse Alex. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so that's that's the film i mean it's 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 a hell of a movie it's it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun it's also very horrific that's why it's it's perfect for this time of year mm-hmm. and um just to kind of go behind the scenes a, a little bit um so as we mentioned jeremy landis did write the script in 1969 mm-hmm. um so he wrote the, the script way before it actually got made but so the reason for that was that he, he kind of had to prove himself, I guess, mm-hmm. first. Um, and also, when people read the script, they kept giving him the same note, which was, this is too funny to be scary and too scary to be funny. Yeah. Which is kind of what we talked about a lot. But for mm-hmm. us, it works. And I think eventually, once Landis proved himself, mm-hmm. you know, by making, uh, you know, what, so what did he make? So he made Schlock, which is sort of like a very independent uh, horror sort of feature mm-hmm. film that he made. Uh, he also made Kentucky Fried Movie uh, and obviously uh, National Lampoon, you know, so or a- yeah, Animal, Animal House, House, I'm sorry. Yeah, which was um, a huge, huge, huge hit. That's a huge hit. Animal and then House Blues, and Blues Brothers were just massive. And then Blues you know? Brothers. So, yeah, I mean, at that point, they were probably like, whatever you want to make, you know. Yeah, you this, this, this so. was his this was his blank check movie. You exactly. Know, like, you know, or maybe not blank so, check, but you're like, you know, go have fun yeah. and see what happens. Yeah, yeah. You, you earned yeah, earn this one. Yeah. No, yeah, so what he cashed it in. He's like, all right, I'm going to mm-hmm. finally make this film that I want to make. Mm-hmm. Um, this film was actually shot in sequence, which is always interesting. Mm, interesting. When you learn that about a movie. Yeah. Kind of makes sense for this one, though. It feels mm-hmm. like a progression throughout the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this is also Landis's personal favorite film of his own. Interesting. So he... I'm, I'm kind of yeah, not so surprised. I, it, it feels like the kind of... Uh, perfect shining Passion. example of what he's capable of as a writer and right. director. Yeah, it seemed it must have been one that he had. Well, he must have had a lot of fun on Blues Brothers with all the car chases, yeah. but or that might have been hell, I guess, to film. I'm not yeah. sure. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> who knows? But I just mean in terms of like you know like the the, the kind of you know because we we saw like he did the Michael Jackson Thriller music video, right? Yeah, I was going to mention this. that too. And it's like yeah. and and so it's like he clearly has this this kind of darker side that he's interested in aesthetically and ideologically, mm-hmm. but he's also so good with visual comedy. Um, yeah. That like the kind we saw in blues brothers or animal house. And it's like, this feels kind of just like that, that real blend of those two things in the, in the perfectly balanced mm-hmm. way. Yeah. He, when he was approving the high definition transfer of the film back when it was being released on DVD in the mid two thousands, Mm-hmm. He was actually taken aback by how gory the film was. <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess he had, he had forgotten some of that when he uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> went to, to watch it again. Um, but Michael Jackson, yeah, like you mentioned, he was so bowled over by the effects in this movie that mm-hmm. he hired Landis to direct. And then it was Rick Baker who did the effects for Thriller. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that's an iconic piece of <laughs> film or music video there. Uh, that, yeah. That came about from this, pretty much. Um, I mean, I can't think... I can't, honestly... I mean, you know, because I, I don't think we're ever going to be talking about Thriller on this show. Probably not. As its own thing. Yeah. So just to take a minute, like, the the influence of that music video and what, like, they created with that cannot be understated. Yeah. Like, if you think about what yeah. was happening music video-wise before that, mm-hmm. you know, it was, like, a lot of performance, you know, a lot of performance videos. You may be starting to get into a little bit of, like, you know, you'd see something kind of like its own little story, but it mostly kind of came back mm-hmm. to performance. And then Thriller just came out, and you know, it's obviously still performance, but it was like we're making a movie. Like it, it was, was like a, a fully, mini movie. It was a fully yeah. a mini. And now it's like if you look at music videos, it's like that's what most of them are. You know, right? And it's like the what the 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 math, and obviously, you know, a lot of that credit goes to Michael Jackson as well. You know, he made yes. the yeah. song and performed <laughs> it, but it's like. The, the but the it was feeling. everything coming together though like the makeup the dance the, exactly the and, and, and yeah yeah and I think you know one thing that's really clear with John Landis from this film and his others but particularly this film is that he really understands tone you know he really mm-hmm. understands how to create tone and I think so much of what works in the thriller music video beyond the music beyond the makeup and everything which is great is just that like we were talking about at the beginning of this this episode is when all the elements come together. And I think that's something that John Landis clearly has a talent for. Yes, for sure. And then the only other thing I wanted to touch on before we wrap it up today is the man himself, Rick Baker, um, mm-hmm. special effects designer, consultant. I mean, he's he's had all kinds of roles in films. 
and he's worked on so many movies you know if you just look at his imdb you can yeah, you can just go through so many different movies, including The Howling, which uh, I had mentioned to Jeremy before was apparently a movie that it came through for Rick Baker right at this right before filming for uh, this film, American Werewolf in London, began. And uh, he was because Rick Baker was excited to do a, a werewolf movie and this and then The Howling came along and and he was all ready to sign up until he got that call from John Landis. He said, mm-hmm. We can make American Werewolf in London. So, you know, he, he kind of had to... And, and he had known John. So Rick Baker had worked with John Landis before on Schlock, which I, I mentioned. Have you ever seen that, Jeremy, Schlock? I've not, I've not seen that film. Okay. It's kind of like a gorilla creature film. It's like, it's, it's like a comedy, mostly. But um, very independent, very low-budget movie. Um, so they worked together before on that. And so, yeah, when he told him that he, he got the money, you know, money came, came through, we're actually making this movie, he had to come back to his, his buddy and, and help him make this. So he was just a consultant on The Howling. So he was, you know, he did everything for um, American Werewolf in London. Um, and, uh, you know, he's, he's uh, Rick Baker has said before that monster movies are what got him into this business. So he really wanted to make this movie in particular. Um, although he did want it, he wanted it to be a bipedal uh, werewolf, like standing upright on two feet in the beginning. Mm-hmm. But Landis wanted more of like an animal-like creature. Yeah. Um, he which described I think was a good as, decision. Yeah, he he yeah. described it as a, a demon hound from hell, which is pretty apt. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he actually, I think Rick Baker modeled it after his dog at the time. Bosco <laughs> was was how he <laughs> how he approached that one, um, and. Also, Landis never really wanted to show the creature for very long, so it kind of worked out, you know. I guess with with how they actually ended up shooting it. Um, so he did want to le- he wanted to leave a lot of it in the the viewer's mind. Um, and when Baker saw the transformation scene, that very famous scene that we talked about for the first time, or actually when they shot it, he was very disappointed. Um, you know, it's, they shot it and it was very quick and. You know, Landis got the shots he needed. He said, that's it. We're not doing any more. You know, and then he, he finally saw it with an audience of people. And just their reactions to that scene made it all worth it, he said. So um, just the way they, they couldn't believe what was happening on, you know, on screen. And even though it was so quick when they shot it, you know, because it was, you know, like we said, it's like all these months of lead up yep. to, you know, creating these effects. So when you shoot something and it's, it's over like that, you know. I'm sure it was it was kind of like that's it you know like all these months of work and but um you know Rick Baker actually went on to win the first ever Academy Award in the category of best makeup and he was mm-hmm. only 31 at the time so it definitely all paid off for him mm-hmm. for sure um but that was all I wanted to talk about with with this film was, was there anything else you wanted to throw in about American Werewolf in London Jeremy or um I think that's about it I think for me it's you know just going into like kind of uh, moments that stuck with me um i think that the for some reason the one i always think of when i when i go to this movie is that that movie theater scene where mm-hmm. they're just it's just these these dead people particularly dead people. <laughs> yeah particularly you know uh uh david's best friend just sitting there talking to him in this in this <laughs> grimy adult movie theater and i don't know like it, it's it's not one of the more dramatic moments of the movie, um, yeah. but for some reason it's just an image, you know, the, the lighting, the kind of grimy feel of the theater, just the, the that chip, chipper just... British woman smiling with the blood on her face <laughs> and her teeth. I don't know that 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 yeah. scene's always always just really stuck with me and rewatching it. Just the fact that that yeah. scene exists and is actually mm-hmm. in a movie is is really something. It's it's just kind of like the <laughs> it's just kind of the, the peak to me of what like good horror comedy can be because it's so unsettling and bizarre and weird, yeah. but so hysterically funny at the same time, and it kind of carries exactly, both yeah. at the same time, and it just creates something totally unforgettable and you know to me really mm-hmm. I mean people have copied that kind of thing since, but. I would imagine at the time yeah. no one had really ever seen a scene like that. You know, it, mm-hmm. it just feels so... Even this to this day, it still feels very fresh. I mean, would you call this movie influential for its time or for even for now? Like, I mean, yeah, I don't see how we could. It's like... Yeah. I, I'm just trying to think of like horror comedies pre-American Werewolf in London. You know? Mm. Like off the top of my head. Like there were definitely some. You know? Like there was definitely some in like the exploitation space. Yeah. But like... 
I think it was kind of more like they were blending the horror and comedy just to be shocking, you yeah. know? Uh, where yeah, it, I mean, maybe I not. He, he, you know. Well, he, he blended the... You mentioned exploitation. I think that's the core of it. It's like he blended that sort of mm-hmm. exploitation sensibility with this more artistic, more, exactly. classic, more classic feel, um, which is really something when you think like, about like, it. Like, he, re- he really set out to tell, like, a, a, a good character story that yeah. was also shocking and scary and hilarious. Yes. Which, you know, I mean, we look at you, I mean, you think about the kind of, I mean, the term that for the long time got thrown around that is no longer in vogue is the kind of elevated horror uh, mm-hmm. films, like, you know, the hereditaries and uh, the, the the witch and films like that. And yeah. it's like, they you know, they kind of took the horror genre and said, we're really going to tell these character stories. And mm-hmm. it's like, I feel like, John Landis with this movie kind of took the exploitation horror genre and said, I'm going to tell a good character story. Um, yes. Yeah. And I don't know, like, I'm just thinking about like, I feel like it kind of gave other filmmakers, particularly like younger up and coming filmmakers for lack of a better term, permission to make a horror comedy that, I mean, it won an Oscar, you know, it won, like it, right. it's an Oscar which yeah. in and of itself is a huge accomplishment. Like to this day, not a lot of horror. The first ever films. for makeup. Yeah. For makeup. And it's like, I think it really just opened a lot of people up for better or for worse to embracing <laughs> horror comedy and, and trying to right. make something really, really good instead of just something that would show in like mm-hmm. a, a sketchy theater on 42nd Street <laughs> in New York. You know, it's it's an oddly good mix. This, uh, this yeah. you know, the horror mixed with comedy. Again, it could be done in not such a great way. I mean, it, it could very easily fall flat, but. Um, in this instance, yeah. I think it really worked. I mean, and I mean, obviously, in the '80s, we saw plenty of slashers and other films that tried to do horror comedy and were not nearly as successful mm. in how they blended them. Yeah, but you know, but that that's part of the evolution of the genre. And you know, I think right. when when something new and exciting happens in movies, inevitably there will always be a group of films that follow that are maybe either right. copying that thing or maybe were already de- in development beforehand. And then all yeah. of a sudden, people were open to making. Um, yeah. But, you know, sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not. But that's how we learn about what works and what doesn't work. And it's what pushes the medium forward. So, I, I don't know. I think this movie was, like, definitely a landmark yeah. film for the horror genre. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think Landis and Baker inf- influenced a lot. I think just that collaboration there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, because this was very early on for for both their careers. Yeah, uh, Rick Baker's as well. Again, which he went on to do so many different films. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, it's, this was just a beginning for him, but it's it's a hell of a beginning, and uh, yeah. he did a great great work on this, as did Landis. Um, and I'm glad he finally got to make his movie that yeah. his weird off kilter horror comedy movie that he mm-hmm. wanted to make. Um, and that'll do it for, for today's episode on American Werewolf in London. Uh, thanks for listening. You can find us on the usual social media. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, or if you'd like to officially join the cult and be a guest on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. This has been Cult Movie Cult, and until next time, so long from the other side.